0: It's good to be back. I, I wanted to come out singing, I'll be home for Christmas, but I didn't think you deserved that from me. It's not nice to torture people. I am glad to be back. I really am. And some people saw me in the hall and were like, but are you really? And I'm like, yeah, I really, I really am. And I want to thank you for giving me and my family an opportunity just to kind of pull back and look up to the Lord. I love working, and I would just like have my head down and work to the day Jesus returns and just feel content about it, but there was something special about pulling back and slowing down. And I tell you what, there's some folks, I've heard new people to our church who've come in the last three months, and you're used to having some guest speakers, and you're like, we got a guest speaker today, but I've got bad news. Um, I'm going to be back here a lot, and so I hope I don't run you off today or scare you at all. Uh, And I had a couple of people kind of like, hey, man. I hadn't seen you in a couple of weeks. Where you been? And I'm going. <laughs> you gotta read an email sometime, and that would be really nice. <laughs> but we we had a, a good time, and I'll be I'll be straight, I'll confess the first six weeks or so of my sabbatical, I was pretty restless and a little anxious because I'm not good at being still. I'm not good at being quiet, you know that. I'm not good at solitude. And so in a lot of ways, I just was looking like, what am I going to do to validate my existence on this earth? I got to do something. I got to be productive. And I was getting really frustrated, but some things began to break through in the middle. I'll talk more about that in a moment. But during that time, I began to hear from the Lord. I found that quiet place. And when I found a quiet place with God, I began to hear some things and see some things that I needed to hear and see. And so there is a sense of freshness and renewal and hope that I really Desire just to bring and to share with you in the days ahead, and I'm excited about the next season of ministry together. And want to thank you. Bottom line, I want to thank you for caring for our family and leadership team, for encouraging us to go, and staff for doing such an amazing job of loving our church and serving them well. And thank you for letting me come back. It's probably important to say, um, but I want to see if I can remember how to do this. It's been a bit, but grab your Bible, see if you can find Galatians chapter four. That's so where we'll be this morning, is Galatians chapter 4. I know when we come to Christmas time, a lot of times we want to think about turning to the beginning of Matthew or the beginning of Luke, and we'll read the Christmas story. And so I say Galatians, but I want you to understand how important, how crucial Galatians 4 is to the understanding of everything that we're doing during the Christmas season. And it's a beautiful passage we're going to read today, and I love it for so many reasons, but... One reason that stands out is because we get to see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working in perfect glory and union in this text. And seeing God, the Trinity, displayed throughout the Scriptures is awesome every time you see it. But we get to see the perfection and the holiness of God at work in Christ's coming to earth and in our salvation. And it's awesome to to see displayed here. It is a Christmas passage because Paul, I mean, if you doubt it, you just see the words that he uses as he writes this. He says, it's the time when God sent forth his son, and that's the reason behind all of the celebrating that we have. But one of my favorite things about this passage that we'll read together is how it points to God as being the master over time, that he is sovereign over all of the times. And something that we have said before is that God is never in a hurry, he's never late, And he's always on time. But I know this. It's probably true of you as it is of me. For most of us, I know that the time in the waiting, especially if you're hurting or you're deeply desiring something, those are times when we can really begin to doubt that God really is truly the master over time or doubt that God's paying attention to us in those times. But you see a text like this and it says, in the fullness of time. God sent his son. And it reminds us of how God, he's never in a hurry, never never caught off guard. All of time is laid out in front of him. And, And Paul seems to be saying, God sees it all, all of human history and all of the things that we haven't seen yet, the things that we have no clue about what it's going to look like. And God knows exactly when to act that is perfect and right for his people. And I think about passages we've studied together, like in 2 Peter 3, 9, where it says, you know, we think about Christ's return as as being delayed, and we go, well, when? It seems like it's been so long. And Peter says that God is not slow, as some people count slowness, but he is, do you remember the word? He's patient, right? He's patient in Christ's return, and there's a reason it says, because he desires all to turn to him in repentance, And he's waiting, he's desiring because if Christ came back now or last week or the week before, there would be people that we know who are so far from God who have not yet seen the peace and the love of God in their own life and they haven't yet turned to him and he's waiting and that's so kind of him to do so. And I think about other places in the Bible where we see people waiting and waiting and wondering Habakkuk. I don't know when the last time you read Habakkuk was But Habakkuk was a prophet of God. He was a man of God, but he's living in a time when his people were suffering and there was injustice and there was a lack of hope and a lack of joy. And Habakkuk is a man of God, I'll say that, but then he goes to God in the beginning, you can read it for yourself, and he basically says, God, I don't know if you're not good at your job or you just don't care anymore. Yeah, and he has this deep and abiding sense of, I know God, I love God, and I'm trusting in his grace that I can tell him how I really feel in this moment. And God is big enough to handle it. And God begins to address Habakkuk and he gives him a dream, a vision, really, of the future. And he says, This is what will happen. And he talks about a time when justice will roll down over the people and joy will fill the people of God completely to where they are satisfied. But then he says this to Habakkuk He says, The vision awaits its appointed time, it's not yet. You're going to have to wait. It says, it hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. In Galatians 4, Paul uses this same kind of thing. The fullness of time when God knew it was just right. The fullness of time. God's in control of time. He sees everything laid out. He knows the condition of every human heart and the condition of the days. And he knows when to act that is right. And he's perfect in it. And so that reminds us, it reminds me at least, that God is sovereign over all of the days of our life. And it encourages me because that means even in the worst of times in our life, it may be the best of times for God. Because I'm just telling you my own experience, it seems like in the most difficult of days it's the time when I finally open my eyes and begin to realize the depth of my need for God. And we live like in the capital of, uh, of, I don't need God America, Right? We live in the capital of comfort and ease and education, and we've got this thing figured out. And sometimes it is in the the times of deepest need that we begin to go, oh yeah, there is a depth of my soul that is crying out for a holy and loving God. And in those times, it may be the very best time that we could recognize everything that God has for us. And I'll talk more about that as we go, but let me read to you. Galatians 4, 4 through 7, it says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. Doesn't change the meaning, a son or a daughter. And if a son or a daughter, then an heir through God. And this is an awesome passage, isn't it? I just want to ask you this this morning, and I want you to consider this question. Are you convinced? And I mean like to the depth of your being, are you completely convinced that God in heaven Loves you. And I'm, I'm not asking, before you answer quickly, and that's great, I'm not asking, is God love? And I'm not asking, does God love the world? Because we'll just turn to the, the page and we'll say, you know, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, John three sixteen I know that, right? Doctrinally, I, I'm there. God is a loving God. I'm asking you this. The depth of your being, Are you absolutely and deeply secure in knowing God's all-consuming love for you? I want you to think about that for just a moment this morning, that if I lifted your name to the Father in heaven and I was like, God, tell me about John. What do you think about him? The very first thing he says, I love John. Man, that's my boy. I just, I am crazy about that guy. No? Well, God tell me about Heather, and he goes, Ah, oh, how much I adore Heather. I love her to death. I just I love her so much. Are you secure in that? Because there are times when I, I feel like if my name was lifted before God, there would be some other things said first, and then it would be dot, 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 but I love him anyways, you know? Here's the thing. If, if you are not convinced at the depth of who you are, of the deep and powerful and awesome love of God for you, you will spend the rest of your life trying to earn his love in some way. I believe that. I, I, I experienced that. I've done that. And Paul is writing to the Galatians, to Christians in an area called Galatia at a time who were in Christ but they had not really found themselves secure in the personal love of God for them and they were trying in so many ways to prove themselves to God and try to earn his favor and earn his blessing and earn their place with God and the bible says it doesn't work in that way paul says in chapter 3 you foolish galatians <laughs> And he's talking to the church, right? He's talking, to, uh, he's talking to people like us. He's not talking to people who have never known God. He's talking to Christians. He goes, you, you foolish Galatians, you didn't receive salvation and God's spirit by works. No, you received it by Christ, by his gift, by faith in him and what he has done for you. So why, oh, why would you turn back and start trying to prove yourselves all over again? You're becoming like slaves to a cruel master when you've been called children of the living God. And that word foolish means unintelligible, unintelligent. And really what it implies is, though you may know the truth, you're living by urges. Does that make sense? You Galatians, you've been exposed to the truth. You know, doc, you have sound doctrine. If I gave you a test and it was multiple choice, you would say, no, I was saved by faith in Jesus Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit, opening my eyes to all that God has for me, right? But... The way you're living your life is coming from urges. It's from feelings. It's from responses to all of the things that are happening in your life. All of the insecurities and the fears and the doubts are driving you. And you may with your head say, yes, God loves me. But with your life, you're saying, I've got to find a place with God somehow. And I just don't know that I'll ever be okay. And my own experience tells me that for the Galatians, it's very likely for them it was an insecurity in the radical reality of being fully and perfectly loved that caused them to be foolish Galatians who live by urges rather than by the truth. That God could actually love each of them in spite of themselves. And maybe they're, they're thinking, I mean, how am I supposed to, that maybe because I've experienced this, they're thinking, I know my sins I know my struggles. I try to play it cool, but I know the mess that's going on in here. How could God love me in spite of all of this chaos inside? And you know what? I've had all these people in my life who who were supposed to love me, but it hurt and it didn't feel right and they pushed me aside and I've, I've never experienced perfect and unconditional love. So surely there cannot be a love like that. And people who should have known better, should have done better, said things, they did things, they made us feel certain ways. And we take all of these experiences with humans and we begin to lay them on the person of God. And so we think, man, if I could just, if I could just position myself rightly and I could just, you know, think right for a bit or if I could just do some of the right things, then maybe God would just be okay and it would be, yeah, Kevin, dot, 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 yeah, but I, I I love him. Come on, guy. And it reminds me of the, the prodigal of the parable son. You remember this? Jesus tells a story, and it's about a guy who he went his own way, and he rejected his father, and all his father had given him, and he just... spoils his life, he ruins his life, burning through every good thing the Father he had desired for him and given to him. And he finds himself at the lowest of low moments. And in this low, low place, he begins to think to himself, he says, you know, if I went back to my dad's house and if I I was like humble and I was like, I'm so sorry, maybe I could be a slave in his house. Remember this? Because maybe if I go play my cards right and I just, you know, I get down on my knees and I grovel a bit and it seems, and you know, I'm going to try. Maybe he'll give me a little grace and I could, if I'm lucky, I could be his servant. And I really relate to this. I mean, this is, I think probably the thing that's plagued so much of my life is this this idea, this attitude. I met a guy named Billy uh, about six months ago and we both work with a church planting uh, network in Collin County, helping churches plant, raising up pastors. He mentors pastors, and I wrote a bunch of curriculum for the network, and I do a little bit of the training. And we were at a network meeting. I'd never met him before, and I met Billy. Billy's probably, I don't know, 60, 65. Um, I'd never met him. Something you may know about me, this isn't unusual, but it's unusually true about me, is that I do not like to ask for help, ever. And, and I, I don't like to show weakness. And if I do, I do so with intention. I need to show some weakness right now so that we can connect and I can build trust and I can be vulnerable, but I'm going to be very much in control of how much weakness that you get to see. Does Anybody relate to that at all? Yeah. I thought so. We all live in this area. That's kind of a common trait of us, isn't it? So I met Billy at, at this network meeting and something in me, like I never would do this, but... It has to be the Lord prompting me. The Holy Spirit says, you need to go and talk to Billy. And this is incredibly frightening to me. And I'm sitting here, we're doing a meeting. and I'm going, this thing ends, I'm going to go talk to him. But I really don't want to do this. And I'm dreading it. I'm sweating. I'm going, why am I sweating? And when it's over, I go up to Billy. I said, hey, Billy, my name's Kevin. I'm a pastor in Plano. And I felt the Lord telling me I just needed to share this with you. I guess in my spiritual life, I just feel a little thin, thinner than I should be. And I, I guess I'm supposed to tell you that. And this is awful. I mean, it's nerve wracking. And I know that he's going, what is this guy doing? How do I get out of this room? But I tell him this and it's not really the truth. It's just the truth that I gave him. It's just, it's just that little bit of weakness that I'm, I'm willing to offer. If I was really more honest, what I would have said is, Billy, I know that I'm a son of God. But really, what I feel like is God's employee. I work for him, and I've grown really comfortable being, I work for God's company, but I really struggle with ever getting to the point of going, I'm God's cherished and beloved son. I can't get myself there. <laughs> I, I know it. I was taught it. I read it. I espouse it. But something in me just can't accept it accept it. And Billy, in grace, didn't run the other way, but he said, hey, I'd love to meet with you and talk some more. And so we met at Mudleaf Coffee, and I listened to his story, and he listened to my story, and just piercing eyes looked directly at me, and he said, Kevin, this morning I was praying, and God said very clearly to me, I love you. You're a good son, so proud of you, and I am sure now that the Lord told me that so I could share it with you, that's a word for you today, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't cry, sir, so uh, we're going to go now, thank you, nice to meet you, <laughs> but I'm, I'm tough, y'all, I am, I am tough like leather, and I don't learn lessons very well, it takes me quite a bit to get there, to actually absorb that kind of a thing. So I, I left that meeting and, uh, and walked off, and inside what I was thinking was, okay, Lord, if that really is a word from Billy, or through Billy, from you, I'll receive it. But inside me, I'll receive it this far. Kevin, you're not an employee. You're a valued employee. And if you were to lift my name up to God and say, hey, God, what do you think about Kevin? And I expect his response would be something like, oh, yeah, he's in that department in this region and he's he's always on time, does his work. Good team player. Yeah, I mean, he's a good guy to have around on our team. I mean, he's got a future here. Good guy. I like him. We'll keep him on the team. Valued employee. And that's about as close as I can get to accepting that God has cherished me in a unique way. It's just easier for me to get my mind around the idea of Kevin Boyd being God's servant than than anything else. I'm a creation, he made me, right? He called me, I belong to him, I work for him, I wanna do the things he wants me to do and I'll spend the rest of my life serving him and his purposes and I'm okay with that. Like I accept that, I'm good. I'll even cherish that but what is So much harder for me is like the prodigal son to come to God and say, God, look, I've done so much wrong, and I've got a wrong head about so many things in life, but would you in your grace, just let me work for you? Would you let me be just your servant, man? I just got just, and then hearing from God, no, no way you're my son, I love you, (laughs) and I'm throwing a party because my son has come home, I struggle with that, struggle being confident in that, and if you play that story out, I really believe if Jesus told like the next 72 hours in the prodigal son's life, probably he gets to work, right, he has a job in the family business, in the estate, he has a role, he has a purpose, After the reception of the father, he never walked out there working in his father's estate as a slave. He just shared in his father's joy, in his father's identity, his father's responsibility, his father's desires, his father's wealth, his father's blessings. And so he came in and he he came into the thing that God was doing and he probably would have, in the story, spent the rest of his life serving joyfully and faithfully, but never as an employee. Always as a son it's hard for us to accept the sonship of God, I think. I think it's hard for us to accept. Is daughtership a word? I don't know. Linda, are you here? Is daughtership a word? Can I, can I use it? I'll use it. She, she gave me permission. It's hard to accept the sonship and the daughtership of God. And I think in one part it's because we know all of our faults. And every time I start to feel good about something, there's an enemy who replays all of my faults. And when I say faults, I mean sins, I mean struggles, I mean doubts. He replays them in front of me and he beats me down. He says, you can't be loved like that. Not by an almighty God, not a, a God who's holy and who's glorious. He, he, he couldn't love you like that. And, and not just love you like, yeah, but I love him. But love him like he loves his own son. Remember John 17 earlier this year, Jesus is praying with his disciples before he goes to be crucified and he's praying for the future church, for all who would come to follow him later. And he says, Father, I pray this, I pray that the world would know that you sent me and I pray this, that they would know that I have loved, you have loved them in the very same way that you have loved me. And that takes a lot of faith in his love for us, doesn't it? Calls to us. A lot of days, I think we live out of insecurity, not out of security in God's love for us. I think the church is full. Just, I mean, the, I mean, the church is full of insecure Christians, and we'll serve the Lord, but it's out of it's out of insecurity. Even man, if I could just. If I could just do a little better, if I could just serve a little more, give a little more. And it's not like we really consciously think we're going to buy our way into God. It's probably a subconscious thought that's just undermining all of the great things, all of the joy, all of the good things that God wants for us as his children. It's this subconscious thing that is the preconceived condition of our souls that I'm not okay and I'll never be okay and I've got to find something to make me okay so that I can skirt by and make my way in. But church we've got to believe the promises of Scripture more than our experiences. We cannot superimpose the failings of human love and the failings of our lives and place them on the person of God. And rather than live by the truth that has been laid out for us and revealed to us by His Spirit, live by the urges, you foolish Galatians, living by the urges from within us that tell us all of the lies to say to us, you'll never be okay. Verse four, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem us. He might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive, we might take it in. The adoption of sons, because your son's God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, oh, "Up, a Father!" Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but you're a son. And if a son, you're an heir through God. Now, I tell you, a lot of people have made some mention of the fullness of time, and they've talked about how the conditions were just right that God was, you know, showing wisdom. At the moment that he sent Christ into the world, and they'll cite different reasons, they'll say, you know, the Jews were living under such Roman oppression that it was causing them to deeply desire and cry out for a savior. They were ready. And because of the Roman Empire's expansive reach They were able to develop roadways and they had a common Greek language that was known throughout the empire so the word of Christ could spread broadly and quickly and people could hear the message that the Messiah had come, the Savior had come. They'll talk about the depth of of just emptiness spiritually that people had. So many people had worshiped idols and many people were giving up the worship of idols not to turn to a true God but just to say, I don't care, nothing works and nothing matters. And so the time was right for that and I'm not at all the equipped historian to talk about those things. And though it could be looked at as strategic on God's part, I certainly don't think God needs strategy to accomplish his purposes. He's almighty God, so if he wants to do something, he does it, and it doesn't matter when or how it is, except it matters to him. And this says, in God's wisdom and grace, at the very right time, he sent his son into the world, in timelessness, he looks down and says, now, and even more personally, at exactly the right time, God shows up in your life and in my life. Exactly the right time he sends forth his son and by his spirit deep into the depths of who you are and all of your fears and insecurities and all of your longings and all of your affections and says, now is the time for you to come into the family. Now is the time to have all of your yearnings satisfied. Now is the time that you know my love for you and through Christ you become my child and receive all of the blessings and all of the goodness and all of the joy and all of the peace of being my child. And I wonder if you remember the day, if you remember the time, the moment, when something in you, you'd come to the end of all of the pursuits of, of self and all of the things that were, you were chasing to try to find meaning, and you finally gave up and said, I got nothing else. And it was that moment that God said, now. Maybe you remember a day and it was powerful. Maybe you remember a season. Maybe, maybe like me, you go, you know, it, it, it's hard to define the time, the moment, but there was a day when everything changed. And it was a good day. It was amazing. And you didn't even know it. You didn't even understand it. I'll tell you this. Um, our daughter, Jessa, we adopted when she was 18 months old, and there was a day where everything changed, right? You know, Lindsay and I were living here in Plano. Jessa is in Carrollton at the time. We left Plano driving to Waco. Uh, A state agent picked her up and was driving her to Waco from Carrollton, so we're all on the same highway in rush hour traffic on a Friday trying to get to Waco because that's the place where some things have to take place. A bunch of people come into a room, and there's paperwork, stacks of paperwork, and in, in one moment... It's an astounding thing to be a part of. In one moment, paperwork is signed and it says, responsibility goes from here to here to here and now to here, right? And I'm a stranger to her and she's a stranger to me. But the moment that, that and now, this is your daughter. She's my girl. And you know, relationships grow. Affection grows, Relationships, they go up and down, and all the things. We have to grow in the knowledge of each other. But in that moment, she is fully my daughter and she gets everything. There's nothing held back from her. She gets my love, she gets my protection, she gets my affection, she gets my provision in the same way that my biological daughters do. I remember Kate when we went to get her. She came early, five weeks early. We jumped on the first plane we could. We got to Arizona. In in about 18 hours after she was born, we burst into the NICU, and I look at the nurses, and I say, stand back, that's my girl. She's a stranger but when my eyes fell on her, I was possessive. I said, this one's mine. And the two girls, Jessa and Kate, have all of the same privileges and provision and protection and love that Elizabeth and Claire do. They always will, and our relationship will grow and it will develop just like any relationship does. But there was a day, there was a time and everything changed because my name and my love is upon them and always, always will be. I love in John, chapter one, verse 12. It says, but as many as received him, that's Christ, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh, Or the will of man, but they were reborn in God. Galatians 3.26 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. If you are a son or a daughter, it opens up all kinds of blessings in your life. And if you think you've experienced any of it, you haven't seen anything yet. You haven't seen anything yet from a God who is Infinite. The blessings keep getting bigger and deeper. The joys, they will never end. But, like, we've had a thumbnail of that so far, right? Christmas is about God's timing in our lives. Uh, I love Luke 2, 6. It reminds us, uh, Mary and Joseph, they're there. They're in the, we talked about this last Christmas Eve, the inn. They're there, and at just the right time, it came for her to give birth. Time. Galatians 4, the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, so that he might redeem those who were under the law. We might receive that adoption. And because we have been adopted, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, I have a father. It's about God knowing just right when to show up. And maybe you read these words, you hear these words, and you go, that's kind of a foreign experience to me. I don't mean the the crying out from within me, Abba Father is weird. Okay, I've never, never, ever experienced anything like that. When I was on sabbatical, I told you the first six weeks or so, I just was restless. I was getting frustrated. I thought this is the way I think I go. This I'm not being productive in any way, spiritually or otherwise, and I am wasting my time, your time, your generosity. And I'm going to go back at the end of sabbatical and be like, I apologize. I'm so sorry. I just walked around and did nothing for for this time. (laughs) I couldn't find the quiet place. But I went to Colorado Springs and I was hiking, which is something I couldn't have done six months ago because I had had some back problems. A lot of you know, I had a back surgery that I didn't think was going to happen. By God's grace, it happened. And I go, that was exactly at the right time. Because I was able in Colorado to not just sit in a room, but to hike. And as I got out there, it took some time. I had to take this little journal with me. This is a day in the presence of God. And what I would do is I would go for a bit. There are trail maps, and then there are what I did. And <laughs> I made a lot of new trails. Uh, but I would go for a bit, and then I'd find a good place, and I'd just stop. And I'd do a little portion of this, this devotion, And then I'd get up and I'd go again. And I want to read to you just a a little portion on my third stop. This is, he took an excerpt from Henry Nouwen's Life of the Beloved, but he says, aren't you, like me, hoping that some person, some thing or event will come along and give you that final feeling of inner well-being that you desire? Aren't you looking for that? This is the way to spiritual exhaustion and burnout. Listen, Christian, you and I don't have to kill ourselves. We are the beloved. We are intimately loved long before our parents, teachers, spouses, children, and friends ever loved or wounded us. That's the truth of our lives. That's the truth I want you to claim for yourself. It's the truth spoken by the voice that says, you are my beloved. Listening to that voice with great inner attentiveness, I hear the words that say, I have called you by name. From the very beginning, you are mine. I am yours You are my beloved, and my favor rests on you. Listen to him and receive the words from the one who truly loves you. You want to hear what I wrote in response? I've never heard a word whispered which in confidence I say, yes, I've heard that God loves me. It's for me. I am loved like this. Yet your written word, Scripture is as good as a spoken word by the Spirit within me. My confidence here does never waver. So why don't I just sit more by the river like Psalm 1 and be satisfied? God has spoken his love for me. Spirit, will you help me with this? So I put my thing together. I tucked it in. I started to hike. I'm in an area where there's, there's really no phone signal at all. And then my phone dings in about 60 seconds. And I pull it out, and there's a text from our friend Pastor Moses from Uganda. Hello, Pastor Kevin. I hope this message finds you well. I wanted to take a moment to tell you your presence is sorely missed here. Please know you're deeply loved and cherished. May the grace of the Lord be with you. I don't cry, (laughs) except when I'm in Colorado. And then I wrote, ha, 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 Lord, you are good. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed this about me before, but I don't often say God spoke to me, and I'm, I'm careful about that phrase because I think it's thrown out pretty loosely. People wanting to justify or satisfy things within themselves, and I'm careful about when I say something like that, that that's actually what happened. God spoke to me, not, you know, I wanted to propagate things that I desire, or things that I think, right? I know that this is God's word. Remember, it's God breathed, it self discloses, and so we know that God has spoken these words and he's spoken them for his people, for his children, and if we're his children, he's spoken these words for for us and that's why I rest so well here. But I'll tell you this, hiking in Colorado on the trails, God spoke to me. In a moment of frustration and restlessness, sense of spiritual disappointment, maybe even a little spiritual boredom that has creeped in. God spoke to me through a text message through my friend Moses at just the right time, didn't he? At just the right time he showed up and he said, oh, you are deeply loved and cherished. May the grace of the Lord be with you. I hope you've had some experience in your life like that, that you can fall back on in times when the world tries to take it all away from you and rewrite your narrative. And if you don't, I want you to listen. Verse four says, God loves you so much that he gave his son to save you. His eye is so much on your life and the condition of your heart that he would give his son to die for you and to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. At just the right time, Jesus showed up to take away everything that stands between you and God. That's how much God loves you. And this says he wants you to experience redemption for all of the hurts and all of the struggles that you have faced in this life. He wants those things to be redeemed in your life. And he wants you to know that you know deep within your soul that you're not some guy or some girl or some employee of God who, who, eh, but I love him. But that God adores you. He cherishes you. That you are so incredibly special to him. And he wants to cry out from within you of the intimacy and personal love of God for you. I didn't know how to end this message because I don't know what else to say. I can't give you four steps for how to figure this out. but I observed that Jesus a lot of times would end the sermon by saying, let those who have ears hear. And so that's how we'll end the day. I want to give you some time to hear. And it's my prayer that there may be one or ten of you who who hear this morning something that your soul has been craving, and that is a word from the Lord that is deep and personal that says, I'm crazy about you. I really am. And for those of us who live in such a hurry with such busyness, I know it's hard with all of the voices and all of the things inside to get to that place. So I hope that this morning I pray, I'll be praying for you from my seat this morning, that maybe this morning all you get is just a noise, a noise, Uh, inside, just a little bump, just a little, I am here, just a little, maybe an awareness of the need for God that will cause you to have a yearning for God that he will satisfy exactly at the right time. Because he's wise and he's graceful and he knows just when to show up. So let those who have ears hear. Would you bow your heads and allow me to open you in prayer and I'm going to give you some time to hear. Oh, the love that you have for your children, Father, is greater than we could fathom because there has been nothing like it that we have ever known on this earth. We have never loved like you and we have never received love like that you have to give. Could you please convince our hearts? Could you convince everything within us that there is a perfect and unconditional love that always lasts and never gives up. And we can know it, truly know it and walk in it as we receive the status of being a child of God by faith in Christ and receive the Holy Spirit who helps us to know who we are and helps us to walk in your love and helps us when we feel like the world is saying you're not good enough, who says, no, 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 no. I'm going to show you this day how deeply loved you are. So would you speak now into our hearts and help us to hear? Church, this is your time.